This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I've got a an honored guest this evening. Uh, Tony's back with me. Hello, Tony. This is, this is part of our biannual program. <laughs> it does seem like that, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Last time I talked to Tony, I had more hair and it was it was not as gray, but, you know, it's been a while. Um, how have you been since we talked last? Super. Super? I mean, there's nothing going on in the world. No, 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 nothing, nothing. Um, I, I, I want to start tonight with something near and dear to my heart um, because this summer I got to to go somewhere I had never been before. And um, that was the University of Michigan. And uh, I got to see the big house. I got to tour the campus. Uh, my wife surprised me and, and uh, we were on a vacation and it happened to be going nearby and she stopped over and we, we got to do that and got to get some swag from the bookstore. So I, I was very happy. I'd never, I'm a Michigan fan, never been to the University of Michigan. Been to Michigan many times, just never to the University of Michigan. Um, had to drive past Michigan State on the way out, which was disappointing <laughs> because I don't understand why anybody would want to go there. But uh, it, was, it was wonderful. But I read tonight that the quarterback whisperer, Jim Harbaugh, can't settle on a quarterback. He's got his returner from last year, and then he's got the um, underclassmen, and he's going to let them each start a game to figure out who should be the quarterback. That seems like a good plan. Oh, it, I, I think back to the Steve Spurrier days when they would change quarterbacks every series, sometimes every other play. That's just genius. I'm, I'm telling you, if you don't have one quarterback, you can't have two. It, it, it's, there's one. And if it, you don't have one, well, my you don't other, have any. My other thought is just you have to pick one. That's right. why you're the coach. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, usually they go for the, the upperclassmen unless the underclassman is phenomenally better gives them a better chance to win. But these both they were both on the team last year. You saw them all season last year. You saw them on preseason. What what are you waiting to find? And again, you're the quarterback whisperer. You're the guy who makes people wonderful. Made Andrew Luck much better than he could have been. But guess what? You still <laughs> you still can't pick a quarterback. So that's my frustration with Michigan. Well, hasn't that actually been uh, now obviously they had a successful season last year. Yeah. They, they made the playoff for the first time, right? Yes. Uh, and then got housed. But, um, <laughs> it wasn't even in that game. <laughs> but the biggest problem for his tenure has been that the guy that was supposed to have quarterbacks uh, and be able to develop them has not been able to do that. Correct. Nothing, nothing he's done to this point has shown me that he understands how to recruit a quarterback. Now, I know recruiting's hard. I get it. But, man, I just don't understand. I mean, you're wearing a Richmond football I'll bet they've got a quarterback, right? They've got a quarterback somehow. I think so. Well, they at least have a swag that says they might. So let's move on to the other things that aren't happening in this world. And I want to stay a little closer to home um, with the Pennsylvania Senate race and and maybe the governor's race. Um, We've got two Senate candidates, and I'm going to be honest, I don't like either one of them. I'm not pleased with either. Oh, you mean you're not pleased with uh, Mr. Fetterman? I didn't like Mr. Fetterman as our lieutenant governor, and I certainly don't like him as a Senate candidate. 
Yeah, he's he's a nightmare. Well, so that's a given. The question is: Is the guy that is opposing him, the doctor, the good Doctor Oz, um, that much better? I don't know. Well, here's what I'm struggling with: Fetterman is a train wreck. And if I, I said this to somebody that today, if you didn't know he was a Democrat and you just looked at him and looked at his events, you might think he was the Trump candidate. Where Oz looks more polished and everything else, and probably looks like the stuffy Democrat. But for a TV personality, Oz doesn't seem to connect with anyone. He just does. I don't know if he's uh, Ron Burgundy reading off a teleprompter. I don't get it. He does not connect. No, I can tell you that um, just among the people where I work, there, I have a couple partners who are very active in the GOP, and there seems to be very little enthusiasm for this guy at yeah. all. Just, I, I'm not convinced that people are going to come out and vote for him. No. I think Fetterman's going to be the next senator. and I, Which is, that is scary, because yeah. Fetterman is a, a lunatic. Yep, yep. Uh, and by the way, Fetterman, of course, um, if you know anything about his history, he is a silver spoon guy who portrays himself as, you know, this hard scrabble, uh, you know, he's Mr. Motorcycle kind of tattoo. He's the, um, he's like Charles Bronson if Charles Bronson was a vegan wokester, <laughs> right? But yes. He, that's not him at all. Like, that's a complete, that's a complete act. Yes. Well, uh, a, he did not have a he did not have a difficult upbringing. No. He did not grew up in coal country. You know, he's not as Joe Biden likes to say from Scranton. Yeah, Scranton, Joe. Uh, it's all a put on, and his uh, as is typical nowadays with the Democratic Party, his policies are just oh. radical. He's he's a socialist. I mean, uh, he won't yeah. say those words, but he's a socialist. Um, he's six foot nine, bald with a goatee, and he's huge. Now he had a he had a stroke. Um, back in May, right before the primary election. And everything I read about what was reported, he's going to have another stroke. <laughs> this guy is not in great shape. Now, he's lost weight. And they'll tell you, oh, he's lost weight. This guy is in not in great shape. And I'm, I'm concerned from a health perspective, but I don't want this man in in politics. I don't want him in po in power and he's going to be he's going to take the Pat Toomey seat and that's going to flip to the Democrats. Yeah. I, Which I, is and that's one of the reasons why uh, there is growing concern that the Republicans are not going to be able to take the Senate. Uh, there's a lot of challenging races this year in terms of who is up and the candidates that are out there and that would be I mean, look, if they don't take the House, it's a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, if they don't take the House, I don't know how we recover, frankly. No. Uh, but if, if, they, if the Democrats still maintain their you know, Kamala Harris grip on the Senate, that, that's a real impediment. So, and, yeah. this, and here's the other thing about Oz. Of course, who, who was his champion? Who is the person that decided that he should be the candidate? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Now he was I, his second choice, just so we're clear on that. The, the first guy dropped out before the right election. But the other thing about Oz is there's nothing in his history that, that suggests to me that he's a particularly conservative guy. No. Now, ironically, the same was true for Trump. Yes. Okay. We, we've talked about this. When mm -hmm. Trump ran the first time, he basically profiled as a center left 
New York billionaire, basically Mike Bloomberg without the fixation on extra large sodas, right? <laughs> yes. Um, so, but I mean, Oz is just a guy, like I said, I have spoken to people who are on the ground, who are active in these campaigns, and the there is no level of intensity or enthusiasm for this guy no. at all. Well, and that's a problem. And I, I was listening this week, there's more Republican Senate seats up for grabs than there are Democrat, meaning if... If we would, if the Republicans would keep all of the ones they have, we still wouldn't be in shape. We still have a fifty-fifty. Well, it's, cha- it's just a challenging Senate map. Yeah, uh, for this midterm, it's it's not good. Um, any thoughts on the Doug Mastriano Confederate uniform at, at the Army War College? Um, I didn't even see that. What that he was. Uh, he so was four years ago, he was posted. Or three, five years ago, he was posted at the Army War College before he retired from the Army. And they had a staff photo day, and there were twenty of them. They were told to come in costume. Fifteen of them didn't. Five did, and he showed up as a Confederate uh, soldier. That was his okay. photo. Picture. I couldn't care less. I, I couldn't, couldn't either. Less. But it, it so came. It's an way, issue now. Right. It's an, of course it's an issue. Uh, but. So what you're telling me then is if that's an issue that any time that you have a Civil War-related, whatever, costume event, mm-hmm. no one can be uh, a Confederate general. Is that right? You, well, can, you can't yeah. come as Robert E. Lee. You nope. can't come. Nope. No, but they, those people are just no longer part of history, right? Well, I guess you can't have a, uh, a reenactment because somebody has to play the Confederacy. So It's, it's all, that's just nonsense. Well, it, it's ridiculous. The, Apparently, the War College didn't see it until it was brought to their attention right now. Didn't, it was posted. And, and it was, by the way, why would they care? I don't know. What the, what the War College should say is, yes, um, there were two sides in the Civil <laughs> yes. War. Uh, we certainly were on the side of the Union. Mm-hmm. We're glad the Union prevailed. Mm-hmm. Um, we really don't see a problem with someone at a costume event relating to the Civil War wearing a costume that reflects some of the people that fought, even if they're deemed to be icky. Yeah. Now, if, if, if he came out and said, you know what, my favorite general of all time is Nathan Bedford. <laughs> that would be a problem. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you'd have to ask some follow-up questions there. But yeah. This is just the typical ginned up nonsense before an election. Well, and this is changing, but Fort Bragg in North Carolina is named after a Confederate general. So just yes. just point we'll that out there. To that, I'm sure. I'll, they're going to change the names because they don't want all that. So uh, we haven't talked since the Mar-a-Lago farce was perpetrated, and I use farce because I I'm reading recently, and you're much more uh, tuned on this. It was the warrant was signed by a district magistrate, and there's some concern, not concern, some thought on that's not really a judge. It's a district magistrate, and it doesn't carry the same burden for a federal warrant. Thoughts um, on that? That's not really accurate. Okay. Uh, in other words, it's not an Article Three judge. Right. Okay. But district magistrates, I'm in front of them a decent amount doing civil work, and they're, they're federal judges. Okay. I think the bigger concern is the, the potential ties that this particular judge has okay. to certain individuals. Look, the judge in and of itself is not the issue to me. You are correct. The issue is that, once again, uh, we have completely unprecedented behavior by the FBI in the same direct, we've seen this movie before. Yep. Okay, this is this is Russia hoax. This is impeachment one, impeachment two, 
and it's it's being fueled by leaks. You know, the mm-hmm. one thing that strikes me yet again, so you have Merrick Garland come out, uh-huh. um, who is just, what a weasel. Oh. I mean, seriously, what yeah. a weasel. And so he is vowing transparency, and he's he's in uh, completely indignant that anyone would question the honor and integrity of all of these hardworking civil servants <laughs> at the FBI. <laughs> and yet, meanwhile, there are clearly people within his Organization. So, of course, he's the attorney general. So he's not the FBI. He's the DOJ. Mm-hmm. But there are people under his purview who are constantly leaking information about this raid and what it entailed. And the Washington Post is reporting Trump might have had the nuclear launch codes <laughs> as, as if. Now, get this, Chad. So the media is running yet again. It's. I mean, you can see Rachel Maddow, the same thing. You yeah. know, the walls are closing in the news. Um <laughs> So you're you're telling me that Trump, what he wrote the nuclear launch code on the back of a golf card, and 18 months later, that's still the nuclear launch code. Is that is that correct? Like, it is so facially ridiculous. And I just want to remind people, everyone who thinks that this is kosher, this is literally a document dispute with the National Archives. Mm-hmm. This has been ongoing for six months to a year. Trump's attorneys have been involved. This is routine with presidents who leave the White House, and there's they have. Cl- By the way, classified information. You know they use that term like dun dun dun. Right, right. They classify everything. Yep. So the media trumpeting this as oh, it's classified information. It, that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And again, if you look at what the FBI did with Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. when she had set up her own server specifically to evade oversight and she had and was exchanging by the way it wasn't that she had these documents in her basement right she was engaging in electronic communication with top secret information and did the fbi raid her mansion in chappaqua no No. No. did i mean and then of course you look at how they handled it and they the absurdity of that quote-unquote investigation where did you remember this chad i was looking i was reading this the other day People forget. Uh, I believe the name of her IT person um, was Paul Combetta, and he was the gentleman who used BleachBit to remove thousands of emails, and he told the FBI uh, that after he met with Hillary Clinton and David Kendall, who was her lawyer, he destroyed six years' worth of emails. Mm-hmm. And he did this while those emails were under congressional subpoena. And the FBI then issued their own subpoena, which conveniently limited the time frame when they were seeking information to a one-year, essentially, period, which didn't include the six years of destroyed emails. (laughs) And then the FBI promised Clinton that after they had received phones and laptops, that the FBI would destroy... Mm-hmm. those devices, despite the fact that they were still under congressional subpoena during an ongoing investigation. Mm-hmm. The FBI also gave immunity to Cheryl Mills, who was Clinton's one-time lawyer and chief of staff, and another woman named Heather Samuelson. Oh, and by the way, giving immunity to witnesses is not unusual. What was a little unusual here is they gave them immunity and got nothing <laughs> in return. We they talked about yeah. it out like a raffle ticket. Cool, so again, consider that treatment for those issues, and now you have have a 30-person FBI team going to the pre- former president's residence to, over a document dispute. It's completely outrageous. It's, it's absurd. It's unprecedented. Uh, you were right. Call, Paul Combetta, you bleach bit. 
he actually went to Reddit. And if you don't know the, the cesspool that is Reddit, go to Reddit sometime. He asked them for help on how to alter the emails. That, that, that's insane. I, I, I want to be clear and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. As the president of the United States, you can declassify everything you want, anything you want, and there is no process. That's what we keep hearing. Well, he never went through the formal process. There is no formal process. That's not classified. I said so. Because who would he appeal to? There's nobody for him to appeal to to process it because he has the ultimate authority to do this. So that whole espionage act thing, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And you bring up the launch codes. I don't think the launch codes are kept anywhere except that briefcase that's carried with the Secret Service agent next to him at all times. And you're right. They wouldn't wait 18 months to change them. So knowing that it's red horse dog, who cares? It's not that anymore. Why would anyone other than, you know, a reflexive partisan um, trust anything that the leadership of the FBI or the DOJ says? And of course, we're supposed to be ashamed for suggesting this, right? (laughs) You're right. Um, we, We have people that are saying, you know, it is highly irresponsible uh, this sort of rhetoric to question the FBI. And of course, that that's going to make the right-wing militias go crazy and we're going to have terror attacks. The FBI, unfortunately, and the DOJ and the CIA, certainly at its leadership level, has forfeited any mm-hmm. right to be believed, uh, any benefit of the doubt. They have corrupted themselves and have essentially become... Uh, political attack dogs for the Democratic Party. Now, if you think that sounds crazy, then you haven't been paying attention to what was going on during the Russia collusion hoax, what James Comey was doing, what Andrew McCabe was doing, what Peter Strzok and his paramour Lisa Page were doing, what Kevin Kleinsmith was doing. This is the gentleman who actually altered an email mm-hmm. to, make, to mean the opposite so that they could gain surveillance over Carter Page. Uh, the abuses that were committed and documented by the inspector general, this, and of course, no one, not a single person was held accountable. And now we read that the same people that were at the top of the FBI food chain who were running Crossfire Hurricane, Mm -hmm. oh, amazingly, they're also the same pipe hitters who are in charge of this particular raid. So any, I don't want to hear it, and our friend who we discuss uh, and others like him chastising people for how dare you, how dare you question <laughs> the pristine reputation. No, the FBI, unfortunately, at least again at its leadership levels, has beclowned and disgraced itself to the point where no one should trust anything at face value that any of those people say. No, the, the, the affidavit was... Let's just say something was released uh, yesterday, although it's just a lot of black ink. I I question why, if this is unprecedented, why we can't know more. What is so secret in the affidavit that it can't be released? And why do you hold it back? I mean, normally, I mean, the, the FBI agents are publicly named on an affidavit for a warrant. That's That's fine. What, they waited a week to, to actually put it through, and they waited two months from the time they actually well, thought about it? To be clear, the only reason it's even being produced in its 80% of it's redacted. Right. 
the remember Merrick Garland stood at the podium and said, we are going to be transparent yes. and we are going to allow the documents to speak for themselves. And then immediately when the affidavit was requested, the DOJ then took the position and the FBI, uh, we can't release any of it. Right. So when you say they waited, they didn't wait. They were never going to produce it. No, no. I mean, they judge. waited to do the, ra- the raid. They waited almost oh, sure. a week after the warrant was issued to, right. to conduct right. a raid. Why did they have to do a raid after 18 months? They didn't. That's, that's it's an the thing. emergency. Yes, yes. Thoughts no, on so the... They, they never wanted to produce it, and you're correct. If you actually look at what was produced, it's totally meaningless. It's just the boilerplate. These are the statutes under which we are seeking information. Uh, the key question being, what was the factual predicate uh, that provided probable cause that, mm-hmm. for instance, the Espionage Act was being violated, right? Yeah. Um, so here's, here's an interesting question for you. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to just we're going to try to get into the head of uh, what is the administration attempting to accomplish by doing this from a political perspective, because this is an entirely politically sure. driven. Sure. But, but what are they trying to do? They, they want your theory. My theory. Uh, it's it's if I was somebody other than Joe Biden. So I had a brain that works and could put, put sentence together. I well, believe Joe didn't. Joe is. But Joe knew about it. In. That's the part I, I was. And saying he didn't know and he found out on Twitter is a load of crap. Maybe he found out the exact moment it happened on Twitter, but he knew it was coming. He knew it was happening. I don't believe anybody saying otherwise. And I knew Merrick Garland knew before he came out and said, I authorized this because they were told, oh, he didn't know either. They're trying to keep Trump from ever running for election. They'd love to see him arrested, perp walked fingerprinted and, and booked, even if they can't get a conviction, although I think they'd like to. That's their ultimate goal. Keep Trump from ever occupying the White House again, a la Liz Cheney's statements. That's probably the Occam's razor explanation. Now, I've read some interesting speculation that in looking at the polling, Democrats actually want Trump to be the candidate sure. in 2024. Now, when I say looking at the polling, there are certain polls where Trump actually, I think, is ahead of most of the other potential Republican likely nominees, although those polls are worthless at this point because none of those people have actually decided that they want to run. So you're you're basically pitting Trump against an empty an empty chair. Yeah. Uh, people that people know DeSantis. Um, and by Probably. the way, I think really the only two Republican candidates, the options are Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. Those are the only two people that are going to be running for president, one of the two. See, that, that's my concern. Um, Mike Pence, I like Mike Pence, but I don't like him as president. I, I don't think there's oh, anything he's, there. I mean, he's, he will be, I'm not even sure what he thinks that he's doing. I, I don't know. But, he, but he's an afterthought. And again, I, I don't have an issue with Mike Pence, no. but... Again, there is no one else on the Republican side, in my view. Now, Rubio may throw his hat into the ring again. My only point is, the only two people that are going to come out of that primary, it's one of the two. It's either Donald Trump, uh, and by the way, I think there's a possibility that if it becomes clear that Trump is running, that DeSantis may not run. Yeah. Uh, they are never going to be on the same ticket, no. ever. No. Neither of those guys will ever be a VP for right. the other. I mean, right. Can you imagine Trump? Uh, no. That's impossible to no. conceive. And I think DeSantis is enough of his own man. Uh, he is not going to be a guy that is going to be second fiddle to Donald Trump. And frankly, they Why have very he? different ways of governing. Yeah. They have very different approaches. Now, I think from a policy standpoint, they're probably very closely aligned on many things. But this is either going to be Donald Trump's going to announce 
um, you know, after the midterms that he is running again, and I think then he becomes the candidate. Or if, if it remains unclear, you know, maybe DeSantis throws his hat into the ring. I don't know. I, we've talked about this before. Um, I prefer DeSantis. Yeah. Um, I, but here's my other fear, and this will be very telling to see what kind of guy Donald Trump actually is. If DeSantis runs against Trump in the primary and, and DeSantis wins, will Trump get behind DeSantis? Or will he tell his some of whom his zombie-like followers, mm-hmm. uh, who who basically it's the only Trump brigade, will he tell them, if it's not me, stay home? That's now, my I'm fear. I'm hoping the answer to that is he would never try something like that, but I'm not totally convinced. Well, I think if we look back on Trump's history, he did that in Georgia in January 2020, or 2021. That's my concern, that he either tries to run as an independent, splits the Republican vote, and whoever's on the Democratic side gets in with it's Biden or somebody else. Or he doesn't support whoever the candidate is because he's mad because he didn't get it. They didn't like me. Guess what? I'm not bringing any of my, my people to the party. That's my concern as well. I would, for the good of the country, and again, we're talking about politicians and media personalities. They're all narcissists. Some more overt than others, but they're all narcissists. They think they're the only one that can solve this problem. I don't see Trump stepping back when he thinks he's the solution to every problem to support DeSantis. I would I would prefer he not run and support whoever does get the candidacy because I think that could go a ways toward doing that. I think DeSantis, I like DeSantis, at least what I know of him. He's Trump light. And I see light in the sense that he doesn't have Trump's baggage. He has baggage. He's a politician, but he doesn't seem to carry so much baggage. He doesn't have the, he has hatred from the left, but not the kind of hatred that's focused at Donald Trump. They raided his house. Here's the thing. Yeah. He, he will just like every other Republican president be cast as Hitler and Palpatine and Edie Amin all rolled into one. But to your point, it's not about whether the left is going to hate him because they're going to will. Yeah. The issue is for the dwindling segment of truly sort of middle of the road, undecided people, I think DeSantis has far more appeal Mm -hmm. um, in how he presents himself. And I actually think DeSantis is, he's clearly a more principled conservative than Donald Trump. What I mean by that is Trump is not a traditional conservative. He governed very conservatively. Okay, mm-hmm. on many issues. Mm-hmm. Ironically, largely, I think, because he was almost pushed into that position by the unhinged reaction to his win. Right. But in terms of articulating conservative policies, again, Trump is a populist. There are things that he advocates for that are not conservative in terms of trade. Um, you know, certainly he didn't govern as cons- a, con- a conservative president in terms of fiscal or budgetary matters. And by the way, that's not just a hit on him because no recent Republican president no. has governed that way. Correct. DeSantis is a, I think, a much better articulator of what conservatism is. Now, the open question is, and I've heard this from a lot of people who love Trump, and I don't dislike Trump I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of his policies. I will vote. I will vote for Trump over any person that the Democrats nominate because the Democratic Party has become completely insane. Yes. Um, but the question is, is DeSantis ready for prime time in terms of the kind of vitriol that's going to be uh, 
you know, flung at him. I, my sense of it is that he is, but I guess we'll never know until that actually happens. So I, I agree with you. I don't think DeSantis, I don't think he would choose to run if Trump declares. I certainly don't want Trump to declare before the midterms because I think that sucks some of the life out of the midterms for the Republicans. I do think DeSantis is a better option. I don't know if there's another option. You said Marco Rubio. He hasn't done anything in the last six years that I would care about. Same with Ted Cruz. I wanted Ted Cruz in 2016, and I got Donald Trump. I don't think Ted Cruz has done anything, again, on the national stage to make me think anything's different than it was in 2016. So I think DeSantis has taken the fire because of COVID. I think if we talk about DeSantis prior to COVID, I would agree with you. I don't think he he was tested under fire like he has been. But the animosity with which they treat him as governor of Florida, I think it's a it's not the same as a national thing, but it's Florida's a big deal, uh, especially it's it's more registered Democrats than Republicans, and he's going up against his governor, gubernatorial race against a former governor, Charlie Crist, who, who's a joke anyway. I I prefer DeSantis today. I do not know if I prefer him on the twenty in twenty twenty four, but I think I do. Uh, certainly over Donald Trump. I agree. Um, I agree with you. I wasn't. Uh, I think that DeSantis has uh, the intestinal fortitude. I really do. I do. And you are correct that he has a national profile unlike almost anyone else because of COVID, because of the stuff with Disney, mm-hmm. and, and you can tell that that he. Number one, I think he actually believes what he's doing, but mm-hmm. some of these issues that he's addressing. Um, he's positioning himself on sort of high-profile issues that will be part of any kind of presidential campaign. Sure. And, and I want to point a couple things out. Ronald Reagan, probably one of the most popular conservative presidents ever, um, I would say Calvin Coolidge is in that realm, uh, was a Democrat for the majority of his life prior to, you know, going around talking to unions in the 60s, he suddenly became aware of this isn't working correctly. Um, and I, I don't know if anybody people know this. When Reagan won the nomination in 1980 for the Republicans, Gerald Ford was advising him, okay, former President Gerald Ford, who ironically, Ford beat Trump in the 76 um, inauguration or the confirmation from the Republican Party. There was talk of putting Ford on as his vice president on the ticket. And I think you brought it up with Trump. Ford probably couldn't have taken a backseat as a former president to be a vice president. And I think Reagan sensed that. So he took George H.W. Bush, who was his nemesis in the, in the uh, primaries. I don't know if there's any chance that these, could co- these two could coalesce. And I don't see how it would work if they did. I, I think it would be very short-lived regardless of who's on top of the ticket, it would not work. So I, I just don't think it is. I'm concerned. Uh, well, I think Trump's going to be indicted. I think that's the the next goal. And I don't know what that does to the always Trumpers, what it does to the Republican Party for this to happen. I, I mean, I, I was young when Nixon resigned. So I don't know the feel of the country at that time, but I suspect it will create a larger division. And again, as you said, for a political purpose, not for a legal purpose, it'll be couched in legalese, but it's really a political move. And I think, I don't think the Democrats understand or don't seem to understand 
what they're lighting up here. They, they, there could be a lot more of it. Well, I think they, but see, I think they need to, because if they want, they want people to go along with what's going on. I mean, listen to the government. We're here to help you. All those good things. They're, they're basically saying, we don't care about half the country. We don't care about you. Elect us. We I mean, don't Joe care. Biden just gave a disgraceful speech in which he made that crystal clear. Yeah. He called basically anyone who is a Trump voter, uh, what do you call them? Semi fascists. That's a new, that's another Biden. Either you are or you aren't, but sure. No, I think that honestly, um, the left in this country, which is now interchangeable with the Democratic Party, certainly at the, again, at the political level of leadership, there's no distinction. I right. Because people get annoyed when I say things like that. They'll be like, oh, you know, not all Democratic voters are leftists. I'm like, I'm not suggesting no. necessarily that all voters, but their party and its platform, its explicit political aims are as radically left as any party that has existed in this country. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to hear anything about, you know, oh, you're painting with a broad brush. Go through the Democratic Party's platform. Go through its current goals, both domestically and in foreign policy, and tell me how it diverges from anything that somebody like Bernie Sanders would think is fantastic. Yeah, it, it doesn't. doesn't. No. It doesn't on on energy. You know, you've got this green cult that is that is literally gradually and incrementally destroying the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, look at all of the identity politics stuff, the trans insanity, and then you have yet again the Obama era. Uh, fetal position capitulation to the Iranian mullahs who are well on their way yet again with us enabling them of having a nuclear weapon and, and, and once again posing an existential threat to the nation of Israel. And we have a bunch of nuanced idiots at the helm who are either uh, malign in their intentions or so stupid to not understand what they are doing. And to me, it's a distinction without a difference. Go down the line... This is, this is not a Democratic Party that anyone would have recognized even in the Obama era. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Obama's an incredibly progressive guy. They have gone, they have veered even farther to the left mm-hmm. to the point where you have people that are like James Carville, uh, even people like Van Jones, right, who are, who are sort of saying out loud, hey, listen, people, like, uh, you, you're basically being run by a Twitter mob. Like the Democratic Party gets its marching orders from people on Twitter. That, that's essentially where the center of mass is for the Democratic Party. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, people say to me, how could you possibly vote for Trump? And my, my response to that is right now, I, I will not vote for any Democratic candidate for any office down to assistant dog catcher <laughs> until... There is some indication that there has been a return to sanity and they have purged themselves from, uh, again, this sort of woke mafia that is driving everything that they do from a policy standpoint. And by the way, with that in mind, I think we should probably chat about um, Chief Executive Biden's (laughs) recent declaration that that you shall not have ten or twenty thousand dollars in college loans to pay back so it's tony alluded to there um joe biden did something he said last year nancy pelosi said last year he could not do and he signed an executive order that is not in his purview now here's the interesting thing he he signed an executive order directing the the department of education 
to enforce. There's nothing based on the HEROES Act, which was, this is a stretch, because in May we were told we are no longer in a COVID crisis, yet he's using crisis for the purpose of canceling student debt. That's well, interesting. It's, it's completely, you know what, they're, they're just laughing. Sure. The HEROES Act, for people to understand, that was passed uh, in, the, in the wake of 9-11. 2003, yes. In 2003, and it was to be used in the case of war and other similar emergencies. And so... And it, also, Joe, it was also supposed to be for active duty service people or yeah. National Guardsmen called up. Look, this is, this is the way this works. They know and we know. They know that we know that they know that what Biden just did is flatly illegal. It is lawless. It is unconstitutional. And by the way, all the people like our friend who constantly railed about the fact that Donald Trump was a tyrant and he was uh, executive unbound and that he was you know, ruining the foundations of democracy. Well, Joe Biden just basically decided because he thinks it's a good policy, and actually it's not a good policy, it's pandering. It is a political bribe to people that he thinks yep. will now go to the polls and vote for him. How 100%. cynical and disgusting. But nevertheless, so they, they cobble together this rationale that somehow under the HEROES Act, he has the authority to unilaterally wipe out loan contracts that were undertaken by millions of Americans and force millions of other Americans to pay for those, for those loans because, well, he just likes people who go to college. Sure. Uh, the estimate, uh, which is underestimated. Which one? Which one? $600 billion, Okay, because when they came out with the $300 billion, that was only based on the $10,000. Yeah. But if you have Pell Grants, it's $20,000. $600 billion that Joe Biden just said, hey, guess what, Chad? Guess what, Tony? Guess what, Joe the plumber? Um, you're going to now be paying for your neighbor's college degree. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that fascinates me, and I want to talk about this. Sure. So as a Christian, <laughs> our friend, I saw that he was discussing this, and he framed this... He was, he was focusing on tweets from people who, who were opposed to it. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that he framed this was essentially, um, look how selfish these people are that they don't want other people to get help. Mm -hmm. Now, if there is a more morally obtuse, unchristian position on this, I can't think of it. So here's, <laughs> here's the thing. How is it moral? Oh, let, let's focus on one other thing. Um, because people keep saying, oh, well, look at all these politicians that are opposed to this, but they took, they took money from the government in the Paycheck Protection Act for COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Now, can you, Chad, can you tell me all the ways in which that is an absurd comparison? <laughs> so, I, I, and I want to, I was listening to Ben Shapiro talk about this. So the pay, payment protection plan or payroll protection plan was put out during the Trump administration signed or uh, agreed to by the Congress and signed by the president. This was designed to keep employees of businesses afloat when they were told they had to close. The government, the government. shut you down. Now, it wasn't only for businesses that were closed. I want to be stressed that it, any, any business could apply for it and they could receive funds. And there has been, shockingly, people abused the privilege. People out there took money they did not need for businesses they did not own to, to just live a lifestyle. But the people that are being criticized are the ones criticizing this program who took business. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the one that comes to mind first because they hate Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she's a bit weird, but she had a construction company. 
to continue to pay her employees while they could not work, while they could not build anything, while they could not do anything. Uh, so to me, a business or a business owner taking money to keep their employees whole, at least for a portion of time, is not the same as saying, I signed on the dotted line for a loan that I knew I was going to be responsible to pay, and I don't want to pay it now, or I shouldn't have to pay well, it, or it's too much. Latter point, that latter point is key, which is the payroll protection plan explicitly as part of the deal, people knew that it didn't have to be repaid. Correct. That was the point. Nobody who took out a college loan who spent that money, who received services for it, thought, oh, when I took this out, I'm supposed to not have to pay for this. Right. And the other point being is that, as you noted, that was legislation that was passed by Congress, mm-hmm. not a desiccated husk <laughs> of a dementia patient waving his magic wand. And you know what? I'm being sarcastic, but it is deserved because this is outrageous. And the idea that somehow, oh, let's also talk about moral hazard, okay? <laughs> so people I hear from Joe Biden and from Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats that we have to revise, we have to reform our horrible, the situation these people are in with all of these terrible loans. And why are they in that situation? Because the federal government decided it was going to get into the subsidizing of loans business. And what did that create? Well, it allowed all of these incredibly well-endowed colleges to jack their tuitions through the roof. Because guess what? The federal government's on the hook for the money. Mm-hmm. And now, if you're going to take the position that, oh, you know what? Don't worry that you're not going to be able to use that gender studies, post-colonialist, Celtic dancing degree because guess what some people in the government have decided that your constituency is far more important than other people by the way chad what's the difference between i don't know a college loan and a mortgage Mm. a college loan and a business loan why are college loans so necessary to pay off and if you look at the statistics 50% of all college debt is held by people who are pursuing postgraduate degrees. So we have now made a decision that somehow people who over the course of their lifetime are likely to earn many, many more millions of dollars by virtue of the fact that they are obtaining these degrees should under this regressive policy be subsidized by people who will earn much, much, much less money and who were responsible and who made a decision not to go into debt for degrees that might not actually be worthwhile. It is the most immoral thing that you can conceive of. And the idea that this would be defended on some sort of Christian grounds is unbelievable to me. You're going to hear the prodigal son come up a lot. From that, from that wing of people, they're going to talk about. So, in this, by the way, in this prodigal son story, the government is the father. Is that, uh, is that how that? Works? I'm not sure exactly what to frame, but it sounds like that would be the direction you're going. I'm just so if you're not familiar with the prodigal son, two sons have a father who's rich. Uh, the youngest son comes and says, "I, I want my inheritance now," which you usually don't get till you're dead. And the the older brother should get more of it in, in traditional history there. He leaves, he go waste the money, he's feeding pigs, he said, my father's servants make more than me. He comes home, the father sees him, puts his favorite road, kills the fatted calf, and they, they have a party. And the oldest son says, wait a minute, I stuck around, I did what I was supposed to do, and now you're welcoming back like nothing ever happened. But the part they ever really talk about, or Jesus didn't discuss, was, okay, so 
the rich man had half of what he had it, or, or some portion less, and now he's splitting it again. So the, the, the older son gets less. And I was always, I always identify with the older son. I did what I was supposed to do. I did what you asked me to do. I followed it. I did it with a joyful heart. And now you're taking stuff away from me. It wasn't welcoming back the, the younger brother. In this scenario, that's, I think, what the Christian left will, will try to portray. Shouldn't we have compassion for these people? Shouldn't we? Yes, they were bad with money. They shouldn't have been on the hook for that because they, they just didn't know what they were doing. They, were, they thought they could get a job in gender studies, and they can't because nobody wants to employ a gender studies major. Too many people. Now, here's the part that bothers me. Hold on. Let me stop you right now for a minute. So the one, so the progressive evangelical who says that, you're going to have to change the story. Okay. Because in the parable, the father actually is entitled to do whatever he wants with his own There you go. There you go. So if you want to actually reflect reality, what the father would be doing is saying, you know what? When my son who was lost and who was eating with the pigs and has returned to me and I'm going to put my finest cloak... I'm going to force all the neighbors who live next to my mansion to pay him for all of the money that I think that he should now have. See, it's not Joe Biden's money to give. He doesn't have the authority to tell millions of other Americans, guess what? I've made a decision that this constituency needs a wealth transfer from you. (laughs) Now, and I would respond to all the people that say this is a good idea. Then how about you start writing some checks Mm -hmm. to any college degree holder or loan holder of your choice Mm -hmm. out of your own savings account and more power to you for doing something so compassionate. But they don't want to do that. They want to tell you and me well, you're going to be forced to write that check. And if you refuse or you have a problem with that as being irresponsible and immoral, you are selfish and you don't understand the parable of the prodigal son. It's nonsense. So I got to read this. This is going way back in history. Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, died at the Alamo. Um, he was in the House of Representatives. He served, term, served a term in the House of Representatives. And there was a naval hero who died and they were going to, the Congress was going to try to award his widow $20,000. Now $20,000 in the 1830s, that's a heck of a lot of money, but let me read what he said. And there's a longer story to, but I'll read this portion. He said, he stood up to say, Mr. Speaker, I have as much respect for the memory of the deceased and as much sympathy for the sufferings of the living, if suffering there be as any man in this house, but we must not permit our respect for the dead to our, or our sympathy for a part of the living to lead us into an act of injustice to the balance of the living, meaning the, the widow versus our constituents. I will not go into an argument to prove that Congress has no power to appropriate this money as an act of charity. Every member upon this floor knows it. We have the right as individuals to give his way as much of our money as we please in charity. But as members of Congress, we have no right so to do so appropriate a dollar of the public money. Mr. Speaker, I've said we have the right to give as much money of our own as we please. I'm the, pow- I'm the poorest man on the floor. I cannot vote for this bill, but I will give one week's pay for, to the object, and if every member of Congress will do the same, it will amount to more than the bill asks. Nobody took him up on it, but the bill failed. He, he did not agree with giving $20,000 of the taxpayer's money to an individual. That is effectively what we're talking about here. One of his constituents 
cornered him and said, hey, you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. You took my money and gave it to somebody else. So this is the same thing. Joe Biden taking our money and saying, we're going to pay off for a select group who were bad at money and got debts that they can't handle. That's what we're going to do. And I paid mine off. I know you had, I'm sure you had student loans at some point. Yes. You, you or your I wife. Mine off. I paid mine off. My wife paid hers off. We will get nothing back and like it. Because well, and you know, I saw something, and I'm not on Twitter, but I, you know, I see in articles they'll link to certain Twitter things, and so one of the, uh, one of the recurring, you know, I guess talking points was this notion. People kept saying to those who were objecting to this, "You were fortunate enough to, to pay your loans <laughs> off, and now you should be." And, and I'm thinking, now there is a nice euphemism for fortunate. You mean? You buckled down and sacrificed and saved and actually took affirmative steps over a decade or more to pay, and that constitutes good fortune? Mm -hmm. As if it just sort of fell into your lap? No, and by the way, guess what? It's very easy for others to have the same good fortune Mm -hmm. by doing exactly the same thing, which is you chose to take out these loans. You thought they were worthwhile. You derived a benefit. You will derive a continuing benefit, presumably, from further employment at higher wages if you go into certain professions. And so, therefore, why in the world would we decide that you are entitled to have the government bail you out? You're not even being bailed out. There's nothing to bail out. Right. This well, is of a, a benefit to you, presumably. Well, let's look at this. I think it's, I think the statistics say uh, about fifty percent of the people have up to twenty thousand dollars. So it means fifty percent of them have less than twenty thousand dollars of debt. I'm confused as to why anyone should expect to get this covered. Because you, here's what's going to happen: every college is going to raise their tuition. Every single college is going to raise their tuition. It's coming. It will not end well. They're going to look for more ways to give out more money. Why stop at $10,000? Why $20,000? What's the magic? They're already clamoring. Chad, the only reason they didn't go higher, I'm convinced, is because they understood that they're already on a tightrope in terms of the the backlash for this. But guaranteed, if they somehow maintain their ability to do this uh, post-midterm, there's going to be more. Oh, yeah. Well, in my feeble brain, the logical next steps are we've got 87,000 new IRS agents starting. They're going to audit everything. They're going to look at, you're going to get an audit. If you didn't get an audit before, you're going to get one probably every three or four years. You're going to get audited. I believe, and there's movement talk about this, to, to taking our retirement plans. So we, most companies get rid of their pensions. There's retirement plans for most companies. They're coming for that money because, as you said... Well, actually, I don't think I have any money left in my retirement. Well, not after the stock market. But they're coming, they are coming for the money that they, out, they let you allocate because they want that money. That's unrealized gains for them. They're going to set a cap. You can't do this. You have to take the money. Somehow, the government, which does not have any money outside of what it takes from us, is going to try to find a way to take your Roth take your 401k, take your 403b, whatever you call it. Well, Not from the teachers' unions. pay for these Correct. $600 billion stocking stuffers, Chad. Yep, but not the, not the teachers' unions, not the, not the ACL or AFL-CIO. They're going to take it from small organizations. They're going to take it from nonprofit companies. They're going to take it from you and say, you have too much. 
We have to give to others because you have too much, because you worked hard. Tony, you're a lawyer. I'm assuming you've done a little work in your career. You haven't sat at your desk and just build hours just because. Am I right? You've done work? Generally, yes. yes. I, I only uh, stay on ESPN all day, every other day. That's fair. So at least a couple days a week, you're doing something. Actually, I don't watch ESPN. I don't either, but <laughs> if I did, I, I would. This is the whole point. They want to get as much out of you as possible. They don't like that these 401ks have so much money in it that they can't get right now. They want to raid your piggy bank. That's what they're coming for. This is just the start. You're right. Mortgages for people. Now, understand this. The plan is $125,000 per person. You could make, a couple could make $250,000 and get loan for $10,000 of loans taken away and given to the taxpayers. That's crazy to me. That is insane. But it's coming. And you're right. They didn't have this in 2008. uh, It's just funny. I was just talking to another lawyer the other day, and we were talking about this. And I said to him, um, he's a little younger than me. And I said, oh, you know, you guys, uh, you guys probably can't take advantage. And he started laughing. He's like, well, no, because he's like, I have my wife stays at home. And so we just snuck in <laughs> under. And so he's like, and he's like, I'm taking the we're getting the full 20. Oh, and this is somebody that's making a quarter million dollars a year. Isn't that amazing? That's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about people who could afford to pay it off. They've just chosen not to. Now, understand. Oh, and I, by the way, I'm not blaming him by no. saying that. No. I mean, he's, he's taking advantage of what's been provided. But your point is the, the level at which this is being uh, income tested is, is crazy. It, it's, it's like Medicare Part D for everybody. Even if you're Bill Gates, you can get Medicare Part D and have the government pay for your medication. This is a, a plan as you said, designed wholly to get votes because they know they're going to, they have a chance to get shellacked in the fall. They want to garner up some support, but I'm struggling to figure out any way this doesn't get worse because something else that we haven't talked about. The, the loans have been on moratorium since March of 2020 over two years that haven't, they didn't have to pay. And the people who did pay during that time, I believe the provision says you get a refund of what you paid in, up to $10,000. Right. And I think the uh, the projected price tag on the continued deferment is Huge. somewhere in the range of $52 billion. And, and again, the justification for the deferment was we're in the middle of a COVID emergency. And as you pointed out, the Biden administration has expressly admitted we're no longer in a COVID emergency, but we still need more deferment. For emergency on purposes. On top of the $600 billion that we're going to spend. And, and I want to just go back to the first point I made, which is we're at a place now where people, particularly people on the left, they don't even ask, is this legal? Nope, don't care. In other words, it, it's simply, that's a good idea. We want our guy to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, our guy's in the Oval Office? Well, then let's jam it through. Now, these are the same people who were shrieking day and night about the threat to the pillars of democracy posed by Orange Hitler. And yet, we see over and over again, they don't give a rip about executive overreach. In fact, as long as their people are in there, they want everything crammed through by hook or by crook, by any means necessary. We don't question whether there's statutory authority. We don't question whether it's constitutional. Don't care. Just make it happen. Yeah, they don't care. None of them care because the ends justify the means. They do not care about 
what this means. The Constitution is only words they spout when they want to attack the Republican side for anything. And that's the sad part. I'm not convinced that the Republicans have a backbone and understand. I think Republicans work great as an opposition party. When they're in power, they don't know what to do with it. They're the, they're the dog who catches the bird and doesn't know what to do once they catch it. They're, they're like, well, now what? We, we don't know what to do here. I'm concerned that even if the Republicans take the House, maybe get the Senate, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that they're going to do anything. They're not going to do anything meaningful. We just saw the, in, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, which really isn't just inflation and the, or the Climate Change Act, whatever you want to call it. They didn't, they didn't stand up. They didn't have a backbone. Mitch McConnell caved again by passing the CHIPS bill without guarantees that they wouldn't pursue everything else. And then got, it's like Charlie Brown in the football. Lucy keeps pulling the football, and you keep trying to kick it. You just don't ever learn. Well, you're absolutely right. And at this point, and I've, I've said this before, um, the, the one thing that the Democratic Party is very good at is they are, they are lockstep. Mm-hmm. Okay? Nobody ever breaks ranks. Yeah. The Republican Party should be taking the position that as currently constituted, again, the Democratic Party is so radical that they will vote for nothing. Mm-hmm. The Democratic Party, nothing. You will not, we will not pass through a nominee. Mm-hmm. We will not vote in favor of any legislation. Now, of course, the rejoinder to this by people like our friend would be, this is a horrific, uh, th- this kind of attitude is frustrating democracy, and it is terrible because you're not willing to reach across. Look, there, to your point, there is no reaching across the aisle. No. Reaching across the aisle only means please agree with what our crusade is mm-hmm. and agree with us. And again, at this stage, until they can demonstrate that they are willing to come back to even some reasonable position within the the mainstream of the American political tradition, they will get nothing and like it. And here's the thing, Chad, that is entirely what the framers developed in the checks and balances. See, you hear all the time the shrieking about the government isn't working. There's gridlock. Gridlock is a feature. Mm -hmm. The framers intended there to be gridlock. And so when I hear that somehow this is frustrating democracy, the translation is we can't get our way. Well, you know what? I don't want you to get your way. Because your way is incredibly destructive. Your way is giving us open borders and two million people pouring over our borders in one year. And your way is destroying our entire domestic energy production under the fantastical delusion that somehow in the near future we're all going to operate our entire economy on solar and wind. This is lunacy. Mm-hmm. This is anti-science, and I don't want any of those ideas being implemented anywhere. Yep. So I don't want to hear all of these platitudes about reaching across the aisle and bipartisanship. I want to obstruct and prevent every aspect of their agenda until we actually have some people in the Democratic Party who are willing to say we are rejecting the excesses of the radical leftists that have essentially overtaken our entire policy agenda. And how do I how do we put this? It doesn't sound crass. I don't think I can. It's basically why should I trust anything you say ever again? You you would point. We're not going to pass anything you put up if we have control. But if you're an opposition party and you're always an opposition party, it means you're not in power. You don't have control. 
If you don't have control, you can't affect change. So to the populace out there, you need to vote for a Republican if you want something different, but you need to vote for good Republicans. And I'm not convinced there's a lot of those in Congress anywhere. I don't, I don't know what they're doing, but they're not, I don't know. I mean, we sit here and we wonder and we wonder and we wonder, okay, now they're going to get it right because they're back to a corner and Biden will demonize you. You've just made a deal with him and he'll demonize you on the way out the door and tell you how awful you are because you have principles because they don't, I don't believe I'm being told, I don't know how this is possible. Facebook is working with the Republicans. They're, they're, they're right leaning. Twitter is right leaning, you know, uh, Google and Apple and everybody else. They're, they're all right leaning because <laughs> of what exactly? I mean, Brian Stelter gets his show canned and you're having people, our friends said, oh, I can't believe they would make fun of him. He was a great journalist. Brian Stelter, yeah. great journalist. I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm missing the great journalism That's part. because you're not inside the hermetically sealed bubble. But that's what we're dealing with. Every single time, we have, n- we have no PR department on the, on the right side that has any clue what they're doing, or at least they're not being listened to if they do. Because John, Senator John Kennedy from, from uh, Louisiana, he makes me laugh because he's got this folksy charm. He did a campaign ad and he's talking about all the good things and how he's never going to shut up. And he says, always be yourself unless you suck, then be me. That's, I need some of that. I think Donald Trump gives, he's crass. He's got lots of baggage, but man, he doesn't mind fighting dirty. He doesn't mind. Now, I don't know that I think that's presidential, but man, I think it's. It, and, and we've talked we've talked ad nauseum about all of the things about Donald Trump that are character flaws. Yeah. Um, but again, we go back to the the Grudem Piper positioning. I first of all, every are you telling me that Joe Biden now now our friend would tell us, oh Joe Biden, he's a good man, he's made a good character. <laughs> apparently, apparently he doesn't observe Joe Biden ever. Correct. Uh, the Joe Biden that at least exists in this universe. Perhaps there's another Joe Biden that he observes in the you know the multiverse <laughs> of madness, who actually is a man of character. But nevertheless, I find that the policies that are being pursued by a particular administration are far more consequential. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, reasonable people can disagree about that. But the other thing that I think you know is amazing to me. You talked about the Republicans are just not really getting their message out. Part of it is because the media is now just a pure propaganda. Sure, arm. that's part of it. Uh, so one of the things that was revealed very recently, which of course is a, which should be a huge story, and yet it's a non-story, um, is that uh, Zuckerberg, the uh, you know, of Facebook, he went on Joe Rogan's podcast, and they were discussing Hunter Biden's laptop. Mm-hmm. And so Zuckerberg admitted that the now this, this should be I don't care whether you're a libertarian, republican, progressive, this should be chilling to anyone who purports to care about actual democracy and the the and tyranny, right? And the creeping effects of big brother. So the FBI came to Facebook to Zuckerberg and his team in the run up to the election and told him as it relates to the, the Hunter Biden laptop, that they were expecting um, a large amount of Russian disinformation and that the, the Hunter Biden laptop, quote, fit this pattern 
unquote. That's Zuckerberg's by, quote, by the way, not, not the FBI. Yes, yeah. yes, that's Zuckerberg's quote. And so by virtue of the... Now, first of all, this raises some interesting questions. What is the FBI doing going to a Facebook or Twitter or social media site and, and essentially inserting itself as the arbiter of what is supposed to be communicated across the airwaves and digitally in America. That in and, in and of itself is yeah. creepy beyond belief. Yeah. The, the second point is, is that everything that the FBI told Facebook was a lie. Mm -hmm. We now know that it wasn't Russian no. disinformation. No. They concocted that because they understood that it would be very bad potentially for Joe Biden if all of his uh, son's antics were highlighted in on the eve of an election. And what Zuckerberg said is, well, for about seven days, our algorithm, we didn't ban it like Twitter did, right. but we suppressed it so that if you were looking for it, it wouldn't come up on your newsfeed. Now, let's just flip that script to the Trump administration, FBI, mm -hmm. doing the same thing, going to social media platforms, lying and saying, you need to suppress information about Stormy Daniels, uh, about whatever, pick your, you know, uh, uh, my meetings with, with Russians in Gorky Park, right? There would be national... Outrage. There would be media 24-7 yammering about the end of the republic, and yet there's just a collective yawn about this, mm -hmm. as if this is totally okay. Yeah. So you bring up, so people don't understand, I, I almost, I would guarantee they went to Twitter as well. They went to Google. They went to all the platforms. They probably went to every liberal newspaper and said, don't, don't talk about this, don't publish it, don't talk about it. I think it's it's very enlightening to hear that the FBI was making their own stuff. What some people go back in the timeline, the Hunter Hunter Biden laptop had not been talked about before the New York Post broke the story two weeks before the election. The FBI went to Facebook while they were in possession of the laptop in question. That was turned over to the FBI, taken by the FBI. They had that when they went to meet with them. Didn't say Hunter Biden laptop didn't put it in writing, all verbal, and yet we're supposed to believe this is on the up and up. I'm supposed to believe that our government, in the, in way of the FBI. So I want to talk to all the people clutching their pearls right now, saying this is not First Amendment, it's private company, blah 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 blah. Yes, it's a private company that's being directed by the federal government Correct. to censor speech. So it's Period. no longer a private company. It is it is now a full extension of the government mm -hmm. that is dictating its policy. Yep. So that's that's absolutely correct. You can no longer hide under the cloak of being a private entity when you are taking marching orders from essentially the the police arm of the federal government. Yeah. And you know the other thing is which so any of course this was information that was taken in willingly mm -hmm. by Facebook because it's a left-wing company because here's the other thing and you're telling me that look at what is daily trafficked yeah. on Facebook. Uh -huh. Okay, in terms of uh, UFO sightings, and you've got people who are, you know, you've got people posting there who are in favor of Islamic terrorism. And I mean 
all manner of this, but somehow we're going to accept the fact that the FBI came to us and said, hey, you know, as it relates to this particular thing, uh, we have some information. It's, it's Russian disinformation. And what the response should have been is, hey, thanks for the tip. But unless and until uh, there's a court or some other law that tells us that this is not going, we are not in the business of evaluating whether there is Russian disinformation. So it's going to roll with the same stuff that every person posts every day, and guess what? That's how the marketplace sorts this stuff out. And if it truly is Russian disinformation, well, guess what? That's going to be publicized too, Mm -hmm. and then that's going to have its own ramifications. But the idea that they immediately just choked this off with their (laughs) algorithm, it's like, just pick up the phone. Hey, the the FBI has another tip. Um, Don't talk about Hillary Clinton at all. Everything that's bad about her is Russian disinformation. Oh, we'll we'll be happy to do that. We'll be happy. Do you think that would have worked in reverse, Chad? No. Do you think if the FBI had come to Facebook and said, listen, there's a lot of stuff out there about Donald Trump and this Russia collusion thing. Yeah, it doesn't really really hold together. First of all, the FBI was complicit in actually fomenting that. Uh And had they said it, Facebook had said, too bad. We're running with it anyway. So I think... This is a concept that I think a lot of people gloss over because they don't understand how it works. They just assume it's right. An algorithm is written by humans. It's created by humans to kick out certain things. Now, it's a computational method to look through lots and lots of data to find the piece you need. But make no mistake, when you search on Google, there's an algorithm that says, okay, Chad searches for these types of things, um, based on this phraseology, this is probably what he's looking for because other people have looked for it as well. We know that. And we're going to show him what he wants. Go to Facebook anytime or Google anytime, type in one word, then type a phrase about that concept and you will get different results because it's using an algorithm to predict what you want. Facebook's no different. If you look at conspiracy theories, they're going to show you more conspiracy theories. Because their goal is to keep you on the platform as long as possible. But you can't go back and say, well, I don't know specifically what's Russian disinformation, so do I block everything or do I allow everything through? They erred on the side of if it had anything negative to do with Joe Biden, we lowered it. Twitter just banned it. Uh, But they don't know what's disinformation and what's truly information. And there's the problem. They are arbiters of free speech, and yet they claim they're not arbiters of free speech. Well, of course, and not only they're, I mean, they're, you know, it's a one-way ratchet, and we know this. And I think we've talked about this before. If you really want to have an eye-opening experience, and I think people have seen this, go to Google and type in a search that is, by the words you use, explicitly sort of rejecting, uh, pick any part of the current narrative, right? So put in something like, global warming hoax or and right so in other words you're framing it in a way that is should be pulling up articles that are skeptical or dubious or you will not get one the 50 articles you will get will be immediately the opposite of what you are searching for and the only way that you can find certain things is if you actually put in specific publications where you know where an article comes from. In other words, the algorithm algorithm literally flips your search on its head and finds things that are the opposite viewpoint that it wants to promulgate, which is the approved narrative uh, by, you know, the, the, essentially the progressive side of, of history, so to speak. It's amazing, because mm-hmm. I have tried to do that, and yet 
I will scroll and scroll, page one, page two, page three, not a single thing matching what I clearly was looking for because they don't want you to see that. No. They just don't. So I just put in uh, climate deniers, and it talked. The whole first page was about how to refute that. Then I put in, are the climate deniers correct? Different order, same links. Can't get anything to say, yeah, these people might have a point. They might be okay with this. Everything is about disc- discrediting. That's on Google. So there was a time, and maybe naively, when we believed if you went to Google, you'd get a list of what actually is out there. You'd know you could sort through and look at it. You can't do that anymore. And that's, more, that's where I'm concerned because there are people who look at Twitter as a valid news source because somebody else posted it. They look at Facebook. They look at Google and say, this, I, I put this in. This is obviously the answer because it's on the first page. So it must be the right thing. But that's an algorithm designed to say, oh, he might be thinking something else. We need to convince him. Here's all the things he should see. Now, if you get to page 50, maybe, which most people never do, there might be something, look what you're looking for. But I guarantee it's not easy. Alex Bernson, who you probably know who <laughs> yep. he is, he just went on Rogan's podcast. Isn't it fascinating that you've got a guy who's a podcaster who actually is probably the only prominent media source who has perspectives that would otherwise just be uh, muzzled. Yep. And what Berenson said is exactly the same thing that happened with Hunter Biden. Now, Berenson, if you don't know who this guy is, he is a former New York Times reporter who was a, uh, and by the way, no conservative. No. Uh, but he was very, very skeptical about the vaccines and about really the information. Oh, by the way, he's he's pro-vaccine. Mm-hmm. What he doesn't like is all of the misinformation that was being peddled by the CDC, because this is a guy that actually took the actual data about COVID and was looking at it and saying, what the government is saying about this stuff is just flatly false. And so he was publishing this day after day, primary source documents from the CDC. And of course, he immediately became a pariah. He was public enemy number one, because Mm -hmm. if you remember in the hysteria about COVID, no one was allowed to question anything about it. And so what he told Rogan, so he sued, he sued uh, Twitter, because Twitter banned him. He's recently settled, but one of the things that he was able to obtain is apparently, which he is now publishing, multiple either emails or memos that from the White House, people representing the White House, to Twitter, basically asking them, why have you not banned this guy? You need to remove this guy. He should not be permitted to say these things. So it's exactly the same deal. Yet again, you have the government going to one of these social media sites and saying, we need you to silence this individual. We don't like what he has to say. If that does not strike you as incredibly chilling and troubling, I don't really know what to tell you, and I don't care what your political persuasion is, because to Chad's point, one day your viewpoint is going to be the one that is going to be silenced when there's a government in place that you don't agree with. And that's the point that Berenson was making, which is he's not some conservative. He simply finds it incredibly frightening that some that a single blogger, the White House decided you are so much of a troublesome priest, right? Someone needs to rid rid you rid us of you, and I, we want Twitter to do it for us. That is a really, really scary proposition. So take you back in the Wayback Machine to July of 2021, Jen Psaki standing at the podium saying this, and it didn't really get followed up by enough people, but saying uh, we're in regular touch with social media platforms and those engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff and also members of the COVID-19 team, Dr. Murthy, 
they're, they're trying to get misinformation. This is a big issue of mis- misinformation specifically on the pandemic. We've increased dif- disinformation research and tracking with the Surgeon General's office. We are flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation. And it's important to take faster action against harmful posts. And Facebook needs to be more move more quickly to remove harmful, volatile uh, posts. What she's saying is, we've determined what's bad. You need to act on it. And we talked about it at the time. That is no longer a free speech. You're not a private company. You are now working for the government. And when the government's dictating what you can and can't post, who is it for them to say what's misinformation? Because we saw, we knew masks didn't work in March of 2020, but then suddenly they worked. And even recently, going, well, masks aren't really protecting everybody. They're only protecting you from giving out more of your germs, but they're not protecting anybody getting that. Everything switches when it's politically expedient to do so. You, did you see the D.C., uh, city of D.C., Washington, D.C., was requiring vaccines to return to school if it's available? 40% of the minority people. No, no remote learning options. Correct. So 40% of the minority students in the D.C. school district are not vaccinated. They were not going to be able to get schooled. Suddenly way, today related, they changed it. Related story, I believe it is Denmark that within the last month or two completely banned the vaccines yep. for anyone under 18. Yep. Now, gee, I wonder wonder why they might have done that. Could it be all of the mounting medical evidence relating Could to be. myocarditis? Could be. Uh, and so your point is, by the way, it wouldn't matter whether the government was correct about disinformation. In other words, that is still something that should trouble anyone. But Mm -hmm. what adds insult to injury and makes it worse is that the government was lying. So what they were defining as as disinformation was actually true. Everything that Berenson was reporting, because all he was doing was using the CDC's own data, was true, and he was vindicated on every point that he was making. Again, it shouldn't matter. The government should not be in the business of instructing private industries that you need to be our um, censor arm for things that we don't agree with. Okay, That shouldn't be happening in America. But what made it even worse is that the government was doing this while knowing that everything that was being posted by this guy and others like him, including the doctors who put together the Great Barrington Declaration, was actually true. So they were they were muzzling people and they were promoting propaganda that was the opposite of the truth as part of that effort. Yep. I think that's where we have to be cautious. I believe this, the whole COVID experience and anything coming since Joe Biden has been elected, it's effectively diminished, at least in my opinion, diminished the ability to look at, at uh, the government say, I trust what you're telling me is true because nothing we have been told since the pandemic has turned out to be accurate. I mean, Anthony Fauci is going to finally resign at the end of this year. Maybe I liked Ron DeSantis comment, kick that little elf across the Potomac. That was funny. Uh, but the point is we were fed a bill of goods on a lot of things. That's just not true. Just fat, you know, blatantly false in all respects, and yet we're supposed to say, yes, you know what you're doing. I'm convinced, I was on the front lines of some of this, I'm convinced that the people in charge in Washington did not know what they were doing, still don't know what they're doing, and they're trying to act like, if I say it enough times, you'll believe me that I knew what I was doing. But you don't, you know, fake it till you make it. 
That can't happen in a public health crisis. Dr. Fauci has publicly admitted that he essentially lied about yep. certain information because he, in his infinite wisdom as the embodiment of science, <laughs> yes. decided that the public just wasn't prepared to hear it. And now Dr. Burks, in her book, has also admitted that she was routinely routinely changing and altering information in her uh, individual crusade yep. to stymie the Trump administration, regardless of whether or not it was true, because again, she serves a higher and more noble calling. Yep. And so all of those lies and alterations were just necessary. See, these, see, Chad, what you don't seem to grasp is that these people <laughs> are of a priestly caste. Oh, yes. And so yes. They, are, they should be in a position to determine what you and I need to know. And if they have to you know, tell a few white lies to get us to comply, then that should be perfectly okay. It should be. I don't have anything else to discuss. I think we've talked about a lot of things. Is there anything you need to get off your chest since we haven't talked in a while? No, I think uh, next time I will share some um, some rants about our vacation. Uh, not really about the vacation itself, which was fine. The cost. But some some uh, yes, yeah, certain certain experiences, which um, even though I had mentally prepared myself for uh, extortionate prices, there were there were certain <laughs> things that were so in your face absurd uh, that um, I I just simply uh, decided that no, we are not we are not going to do this. Where did, where did you go? We actually went to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. When did you go? We went at the beginning of August, the first week. We were there the last week in July. Okay, so you we overlapped. So yeah, we, were, we probably did a very similar experience in Gatlinburg. Did, so we, before we go, yeah, uh, did you happen to go on the sky ride? The one where they found the dead the body, or the one, the other one? I don't know, even know about that. We, the, we, the chairlift that goes up to the sky bridge. That I went on the other one. I went on the gondola, which was further up in Gatlinburg. I did not go to the Avena. The the chairlift, um, and if you haven't been to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg is kind of the... The, the town, and it's a small town, mm-hmm. but they've got a lot of really cool shops and all kinds of things, and there is a sky ride because it's kind of a valley. It's in the Smoky mm-hmm. Mountains. And so you can take a chairlift up to the, the top, and, and then there's a um, sky bridge, which is a walking bridge that goes across, and there's a section of it that has a glass bottom, and you can look down, and it's pretty cool, and you, you, you can have a view of the, uh, the whole valley. Yep. So this, of course, was something that we had to do. Um, and the day that we were there, and Chad, you probably experienced this because the downtown is very crowded. There's oh, people yes. everywhere. Okay, traffic is <laughs> crowded. Is not an understatement. Yeah. And so it struck me. I began to have a bit of a troubling omen when we decided we were going to go do this. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon, and I noticed that unlike many of these other places, there really weren't that many people in line. I'm thinking, well, that's a little strange because this is kind of one of the you know the, the highlight <laughs> things. So our, we have a family of five. And I, again, I had mentally prepared myself. We're on vacation. Things are expensive. Just the way it is. You mm-hmm. know, I was, I was zen, right? Mm-hmm. I was fine with it. So, but you know how you do the little like mental math in your head expecting like, okay, this is probably going to be, I don't know what, 20 bucks a person, right? hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a five minute chairlift. Yeah. Right? It's okay. Yeah. Whatever. So I get up there. I say, we need five tickets. And so my wife and three of our kids, what do you think it cost? Well, I know what we paid for the gondola, so I'm going to guess 150 bucks. $180. $180. So yeah. I, of course, almost swallowed my tongue. And then I think I said to the lady, <laughs> half joking, I was like, are we being served a lobster feast? 35 uh, bucks a person. And, and again, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a, a metal chair mm-hmm. that goes two miles an hour up a hill. 
and then you get to walk across the bridge, and then you get to come down the hill, $180. Okay, so, wow. of course, at that point, you're stuck, right? We're going on yeah. this thing. Yeah. Okay, so I, I was fine. I, I kind of gritted my teeth. I'm like, whatever. So across the street, uh, there was the zip line. Okay, so, yes. and so, in other words, it goes up the other side of the valley. Yeah. And we are going to do that. So we're in line for the zip line. And there's probably, it's probably like a 45-minute wait. So we're standing in line, and it's 90 degrees, and I'm still just sort of irked by the whole $180 to go up the chair. <laughs> and so uh, I hear, as we're going through the queue, there's a family that is now sort of next to us. You know, they, they've, they're on the next section of the queue, and I hear right. the husband saying to the wife, can you believe that each ticket is $90? Now, this is for a zip line that lasts oh for goodness. 15 minutes. And I'm doing now, of course, that's $450. So at that point, I had an aneurysm. <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Yeah. And, and she was like, well, you know, we've planned this. And I'm like, no. I said, plan for that. it's not even about the money. It is the principle of this. I would rather that we leave here right now and drive to, I don't care, the Nike outlet, and they can buy $450 of whatever they want. Yep. But I am not going to pay more yep. than it costs to get into Dollywood for yep. the whole day yep. to go on this zip. I mean, it's insane. So that was the other thing. And, and this, uh, did you notice that every, I think it is a local ordinance, every third vehicle in, in Gatlinburg is a $100,000 pickup truck. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of these trucks. Are not, these are not old, rusty people. No, they're these all are lifted, nice. brand new, tinted Ford F-250 King Ranch Dooleys. Mm -hmm. And apparently every third person has Owns one. one. No matter where they come from. No matter where they come from. Yeah. So I made this in Pigeon Forge. And for oh, those of you who can't read holding it. holding up a very, uh, a very cool knife. This was a railroad spike that I pounded out with the help of a blacksmith um, into a knife that I got to take home with me for that same $90 you would have paid for a zip line. Uh, it took me about 45 minutes. It was very hard, um, but I have a, I wouldn't say it's a fine knife, but it's a knife. And That's pretty cool though. That actually sent, where did you do that? Uh, it's a, it's a forge um, on the backside of pigeon or yeah, pigeon forge. And I'd, I'd have to get the name for you, but um, it was something they'd only been doing it since February. This guy moved down from Indiana and set up the shop, and it, it you could do you could do a horseshoe, you could do a penny nail, whatever you want to do. With, they have a couple of different things. This was the biggest thing they had with the biggest knife, um, and it was hard. It was really I would not want to be a blacksmith, but it was really hard. Um, but that was the that was the best thing about going to Pigeon Fort for me. We saw shows, we we walked around, we shopped, we went to Gatlinburg one day, and it was a disaster. Uh, now the, the chairlift you went on a woman died on the week before somehow fell off was pushed off nobody really knew at the time and was found up at the top of the mountain dead um kind of a problem maybe that's why the line wasn't so, <laughs> quite so long for that um but it was I, I, I don't know I, it felt like to me pigeon forge and gatlinburg everybody's trying to find a way to take more money out of my pocket Every single place. Nothing was, hey, we're doing this because we enjoy this. We're doing this to make a buck. 
Now Gatlinburg, well, as you said, is small. Know, look, that doesn't. I mean, look, that doesn't yeah. bother me. It's it's very. It's become very commercialized. And yes, that's fine. But it's just sort of. You get to the point where okay, I, I'm prepared for extortion, yeah. but I, I'm not prepared for galactic extortion. No, I, no. It, it was so that that was kind of funny. But we we enjoyed it, um, and I think you know we didn't. We actually did you do any hiking? We took a drive up to the Smoky Mountain National Smoky Mountain. Um, park but we did not drive it was raining that day so we didn't get out and walk around but that was cool don't get me wrong it was really cool to see um now for for those of you don't know i went to the university of tennessee which is in knoxville which is about 45 minutes north maybe an hour depending on traffic north of uh pigeon forge in gatlinburg so i had been around the smoky mountains when i was there uh but i'd never been to gatlinburg never been to pigeon forge because when i was there they weren't what they are today. They they had some shops and there was some stuff, but it's not what it is now. People went there to ski. Uh, they went to Dollywood and they went to ski. That was that was the call for that area. Um, but I, I I liked certain aspects. I liked making the knife. That was cool. Um, but I didn't enjoy I didn't enjoy everything. We went to a show. It was fine. Everybody serves fried chicken in some shape, form, or other. My favorite meal was at Paula Dean's restaurant. I don't know if you went there. Um, we uh, looked at the wait times and decided. That we had to wait an hour. So it wasn't nothing, but you had to you get on the list. But that's a little place called The Island. And there's a lot of cool shops. They got a water show with music, which is kind of cool. It goes off every half hour. That was neat. Um, parking was horrendous everywhere you went. Didn't matter where you went. It was it was bad parking. Um but I don't never. I don't know that I ever need to go back. There was nothing there that said you need to come back and experience this again. It uh, probably the same. Uh, I don't. I generally don't like places that are super super crowded. I don't and either. It, now maybe there is. A, you know, once you roll into September or October, I think that's the other you thing. Make your way down there. That would probably be really cool. And then you could yeah. probably get to see more, more things. places than you would because I mean it is just it is. Uh, it's tourist central. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it is jammed. You know, if you're going into town on there's like a little parkway. Uh, I mean, it's backed up bumper to bumper. Yep. Uh, it's just amazing how many the, the volume of people that are there and what is essentially a, a couple small, relatively small little towns is amazing. It yeah. has become a major deal. Well, we it took us an hour to get f- into Gatlinburg bumper to bumper traffic where we found a place we could park and it was $20 to park and we got the last parking spot in the parking lot and then walked from there because nobody wanted to move the vehicle because you never were going to know what you do. And every place we stopped, it was a 45 minute to an hour wait to get in to eat. We were there for lunch and we waited because we didn't have a choice. There was nowhere else to go. I, I think it was, I think in theory, I think you're right. If you went in the early fall, it would be cool. A lot less people, temperatures may be a little bit more relevant. It's hot there. I mean, I don't think people realize how hot Southeast United States is in the summer and how humid it is. It's very hot and humid. You, you just, it's like a sauna at all times. And it rained a couple times over there in the afternoons, but then cleared up real quick. Uh, I don't know. It was, I got the best gas price just north of Knoxville for $3.72 a gallon. Because <laughs> I was looking. And I, I signed up for every rewards program at every place we stopped just to get a couple more cents off. Because we were driving. We drove out to Western Michigan and my wife had to work out there, and then we drove down through Indiana and into Tennessee, but we stopped at the Ark. Did you ever stop at the Ark in Kentucky? No. Um, it's really big, and that's all you need to know. 
you you do not need to go. <laughs> I will tell you for anybody who's seen Fletch Lives with Chevy Chase, the second movie he made with that. Um, I felt like I was at the jumping for Jesus, uh, jumping room. Everything was about parting money with me. Everything there was about taking money out of my pocket and trying to couch it in some religious something. Um, it, it was crass, from my opinion, crass in the commercialism of what they were trying to do. I understood it. I liked it. It was cool. Um, but I, I don't ever need to go back. I've seen the arc, and if it was legitimately the right size, that's a pretty big arc, pretty big boat. Um, you know, but it was, I don't know, it wasn't Disney, but it felt like they were trying to be Disney in eastern Kentucky. Certainly competing with their prices, it sounds like. It was 50 bucks a person, and then you had to pay to park. So $40 less than the zip line. And we were there longer. You could stay all day, but that was a lot of money for what you actually got. You did not get $50 worth of entertainment, let's put it that way, for me personally. But that's that's what things have become. Everything is trying to make a buck. I mean, they, maybe they're trying to make up for a year and a half of not having those people, but I, I, I just certain places I don't need to go back. I, I like the beach, and Pigeon Forge was all the shops you get at the beach without the actual beach. That's what it felt like to me. Everything, shows, restaurants, shops to buy stuff, beach, beach, beach. It's to see the same things, but but no actual beach. You can't uh, you can't pound a railroad spike into a knife in the beach. Not that I'm aware of. Maybe maybe there's a place, and this wasn't aware. But this this sucker is heavy. This is probably maybe three pounds, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I had to twist the hilt. So if I don't know if you can see that. That's the spike. He smoothed out the end, but. That had to be twisted by me, by hand. Um, impressive. You should go on uh, Forged in Fire. You might, uh, yeah, you might be able to compete. With I'd like to get my, I wish I could have got my name carved in the blade <laughs> or at least somehow put in there. I don't know. My dad did it with me and it was nice. It was a nice experience for us. Um, but our arms were hurting afterwards and I would not want to be a blacksmith. That's all I'll say. Sorry, we talked longer than we planned to, but I, when you said well, Pigeon Forge, I got not convened in, uh, you know, like no. a quarter. So. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but anything else to add? No, I think we're good. Okay. Thank you for joining us, folks. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.